expressed in this podcast did not necessarily reflect the view of Wolfpack Research or any of its officers. The views and opinions expressed by guests are their own and their appearance on this program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. We are not investment advisors. We hold no registrations with the SEC, FINRA, or any other regulatory agency, and none of the opinions expressed on this podcast should be considered investment advice. The listener should assume that we have positions in and stand to benefit from any stock or other security mentioned on this podcast. Do your own research before making investment decisions. everybody this is dan david coming back at you today we have sound carl that's right that's right even better sound andrew that not sound andrew yeah okay our show today we have winston sturzo otherwise known as serpent za we've got to we've got to get to the bottom of that well he's in england so it's zed oh is that yeah uh, yeah, it is Z A, but Z A is fine. Z A. Z. Yeah. Uh, uh, it's like like they instead of saying zero, they go nil. Nil. Yeah, and aluminium. <laughs> aluminium. Aluminium. Yeah, that's what it is. It's aluminium. Well, no, it. it's actually aluminum. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, anyway, we can discuss that later. All right. Winston is a South African vlogger and a video producer. He lived in Shenzhen and Guangdong province. Forget this. Over fourteen years. Yike. A long time. Saw a lot happen there. He's born and raised in South Africa. He moved to China to work as an English teacher, as one does, after mm-hmm. visiting on business in 2005. Started uploading videos in China in 2007. Became a full-time vlogger in 2016. His videos have over 178 million views and primarily focus on life in China as viewed from a Western perspective. That's a lot of views. That's a lot of views. With fellow YouTuber Matt Tai, uh, who goes, by the way, Laowei86, we had him on our show, has taken extraordinary journeys to produce the documentary series, Conquering uh, Southern China, Conquering Northern China. We'll get into that a little bit. Matt talked about it, and it sounded pretty harrowing. Mm-hmm. He and Tai operate the YouTube channel ADV China, a motorcycle travel vlog. Sturzel was also the co-founder of a small China-based custom motorcycle business before I'm sure they stole it from him. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. In 2019, Sturzel moved to Los Angeles following threats by ultranationals and the Chinese government who accused Sturzel's wife of being a spy and a threat to national security. Nice. Whoa. Well, first of all, welcome to the show, Winston. Thank you. It's nice to be here. I have to ask you first question after reading that, that last sentence. How was that conversation with your wife when you're just like, yeah, well, hey, why didn't you tell me you were a spy? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it, the way it actually went down is my wife got called into a disciplinary hearing at her hospital. She was a doctor in China. And, you know, they've got um, – and the way it operates is you have your medical board, then you have uh, a couple of large hospitals, and then underneath those hospitals you have clinics. Okay, mm-hmm. so she was in one of the clinics, which is what it was attached to a certain hospital. And she was a Chinese national? Yeah, she's a Chinese national. Oh, okay. So that made it much more serious, the accusation. Yeah, yeah, it was crazy. So, you know, she got called into this disciplinary uh, hearing by sort of the medical board. But the reason she found out about this is one of her friends, of course, was working in the higher up. And they said, look, we've received this, uh, you know, this letter or this uh, complaint or whatever it was. And it was an official document. They'd been received, they'd been bombarded with... um, letters about her being a traitor because she was married to me mm-hmm. um, by the haters. <clears throat> and this is something they do often, you know, they go and they'll raid comment sections and leave nasty comments and things, but they will try their absolute best to disrupt the person's family and, uh, and so on in order to try and shut them down in order to silence them. So they, they went after my wife in a big way. They reported her to the medical board. They reported her to the public security bureau. They reported her to the local police. They reported her. They started to like spam phone call and send messages and emails to her boss because you know all the the information about doctors and so on is quite public in China. It's pretty easy to figure out where they work and you know because their names are up there on the roster and so on. So her hospital and her clinic and everything were being bombarded by these phone calls and emails and text messages and whatever else. But they received. A massive, it was like a 24-page document about why she's a traitor 
it had screenshots of her and me together. It had screenshots of, uh, you know, my videos and, and so on and so forth. And, and the whole thing was a, it was actually quite a joke because if you read through it, there were so many mistakes in this document that they'd they written care. up. But the fact of the matter is it got elevated to the highest level and she actually got called in for like a disciplinary hearing. And the end goal of these guys was to get her fired, number one. Number two, get her imprisoned for being like a national security threat or whatever. And their absolute end goal was to silence me, to, to make me stop making videos. And this is back when I wasn't even very critical of... Yeah, they're pretty in innocuous videos, right? I mean, you're... yeah. You're conquering Southern China and Northern China. I mean, you made, I mean, you made friends with every, everybody, everywhere you went. I saw those. They were yeah. great. You guys were milking horses and <laughs> doing all, you know, whatever. You know, riding llamas. Yeah. It didn't seem like, I mean, what were they so pissed off about? Here's the weird thing is that in China, the opinion of a foreigner is elevated above the opinion of a Chinese person. That's why you see these guys doing these, uh, what we call white monkey jobs, where they'll hire a white face to, to be, uh, I don't know, the face of a brand, for instance. Uh -huh. Or if they're having a big, important meeting, they'll hire some foreigners to just come and sit there to make it look like the company has international connections and so on. But if a foreigner endorses something in China, like, say, for instance, if, if a foreigner goes and is in an advert and drinks a drink and says, wow, this drink is really delicious, this Chinese drink, then everybody will be like, oh, that must be a very good drink because even foreigners like it. Because for the longest time in China, foreign imported goods and so on have, have been of much higher quality than local Chinese brands. Right. Okay, that's just how it's been. Right. So the opinions of foreigners mean a lot, but there's a reverse to that. If a foreigner has an opinion that's negative towards China in any way, shape, or form, there's like a defense mechanism that kicks in, that suddenly that foreigner must be a traitor and he's here to attack us and smear China, make China look bad, all that kind of thing. So the reason they started to do this is I started to criticize certain aspects of China's uh, society. I was smart enough to know that I should not criticize the government go down that path, you know, don't discuss politics or religion. You know, that's usually what you stay away mo from. Mo when you... Mostly politics. Yeah. Yeah. yeah there is exactly. no religion there. <laughs> no, there is well, no religion in China. <laughs> you know, I made a couple of videos where I, I was criticizing legitimate things like the, the kidnapping issue in China, right? Because I knew people who were victims right. of kidnapping and I'd actually helped stop a, uh, like a child trafficking ring on the subway there in Shenzhen, where what was happening was, I noticed beggars are not allowed on the subway, right? There's signs everywhere, no begging, et cetera. But you get these women and they'd come in and they'd have like an overcoat on and they'd sit there and then they'd take the overcoat off and have really tatty clothes underneath. They'd have a child strapped to their back and they'd walk around asking for money, right? So I saw this one day and I noticed the child's like two years old thereabouts, but completely silent and just groggy and kind of like rolling its eyes around, definitely drugged. So I'm like, this, this isn't okay. Then the next day, I was traveling on the same route. I saw a different woman doing the same trick, but with the same child on her back. Oh. So I, was, I was like, this is bullshit. They're definitely, what they're doing here is they're, you know, passing this kid around to different people as a, as a prop, you know, for their sympathy ploy to get money from people. So I started to take photos of them. And uh, the third day, there was a different woman with the same kid. And I actually physically took a hold of her and pulled her off the train and called the security guards, got the police involved, gave them the photos of that I'd taken of the previous two women with the same kid. And they, they took her away and they actually put up notices at the subway after that that said, like, if you see these kind of, uh, you know, beggars don't give them money type thing. So I, I actually got involved in, you know, taking down a little bit of this child trafficking kind of thing that's going on. Because this is what happens. They'll either rent the children from poor families or they just buy them or, you know, they kidnap them. One of these three. Anyway, so I, I got really pissed off and I started to make videos criticizing these aspects of Chinese society. And I, I honestly thought that the Chinese people would be on my side because the whole point of me exposing this stuff and trying to do something about it is I wanted it to change. Those aspects of Chinese society, which are terrible, they need to be pointed out so they can be changed. And that's what Westerners normally do is we complain about something that we don't like and then things get done, right? 
we get start to talk about it. We start to get things involved. We start you mean, campaigns you mean over we, over in Western countries. Yeah, exactly. But not in China. Well, suddenly there's a foreigner pointing out the flaws in your society. He's the enemy. That's quite a flaw. And and that's what happened was because I was pointing out things like that and like food safety issues and so on and so forth that I was coming across. I became enemy number one. Now, and I wasn't even like attacking the government. I wasn't attacking politics. I was actually doing this on behalf of the Chinese people. Hey, let's fix this. You know, I'm here to help you. Let's bring awareness. Let's try to fix this. The result was they went after my wife to try and uh, silence me. It was pretty scary. The dude turned up at her work once, like in, luckily not in her clinic. This is when they were still trying to find out who she was. Turned up in her like head office, the big hospital in the HR department with a picture they printed out of my wife and me together off the internet. And they were asking around, like, does she work here? Where is she? Et cetera, et cetera. And he was taking photos and videos of the building. And luckily the security guard eventually made him delete all his stuff of his phone and kicked him out. But, you know, it was starting to get to a very dangerous point. And uh, it was really just at that, that point where uh, we knew it was time, time to get out. The, you know, The uh, Chinese version of uh, canceling someone is pretty serious. I want to get back to, uh, first of all, what you did. Promise, yeah. Great job. Phenomenal. And, and something, you know, you can always feel good about in your life when you've, you know, had a bad day. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> yeah. But then you call the police, you bring them out, and the police are like, okay, and we're going to take care of this. We're going to put up a sign that says, don't give them money. <laughs> Not that if you see a kid in distress. Help the kid. <laughs> help the kid. Yeah. I mean, yeah. What yeah, the that's hell? true. <laughs> what, that's just... It's hard to wrap your head around it, but I've heard too many stories that are too similar. And then also, you unwrap from that too, is like, you know, this guy that's, you know, uh, dogging your wife at, at the hospital gets rolled up by a security guard, and the security guard made some, makes some delete videos. I mean, here in the United States, security guard says whatever. We're just like, hey, sticking up your ass. I'm not deleting any videos. Yeah. But they have yeah. some power there, right? You kind of do what that authority says in China. Yeah, to a certain extent. I mean, low-level security guards aren't treated with any respect. But, you know, if you're dealing with, like, for instance, the security guard inside the hospital will have a little bit more authority. Uh. And the actual police as well. It's such a weird situation. Cops are treated like dirt, and usually you can get away with it until a certain point. If they decide, okay, that's it, now we're going to throw the book at you, they, can, they have the power to do anything. Right. Um, that's the difference. And you do mean anything. <laughs> Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, they, they, can, they, 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 can, they can throw the jail on top of you. Oh, yeah, and th there's no repercussions for the police either. So, you know, if they decide they don't like you, they'll just take you and detain you. And even if it's a false detainment and whatever you get out of it eventually, um, that cop, nothing will happen to them. It's very different. There's no accountability uh, like you find in, in the States, for instance. I definitely do know that. We've had our, you know, some of our security specialists, some of our investigators rolled up. And it's been the gamut, like, you know, some have spent time in prison, which was yeah. a, a very sad, costly thing. And it's not just the money part of it, but the, the human cost of it. Yeah. And then other times, security at a company that we're surveilling kind of find out who he's working for. And they're mm -hmm. like, oh, no, 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 no. You go back and tell them we're a good company. We have your ID. Yeah. And we know where you live. Sure. So your report back to, to Dan is that we're doing everything we say we're doing. Or we'll come visit you. Yeah, yeah, they do that a lot. You know, the ID card is a is a massive form of control. I had a friend, well, I should say an acquaintance in in China, a Chinese guy who made some bad debts gambling. Okay, and you know, gambling, of course, is illegal in China, but it's sure. everywhere, especially in Macau. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, just go to Macau, yeah. But what happened was the the mafia thugs basically took him into a room, uh, sat him down, and they took photocopies of his ID card, like say it, and they said, we know, we know everything about you. You know, you right. pay back this debt. Otherwise, you're, you're toast, you know, and your family's toast because the ID card ties you to everything. It does. It ties you back to where you were born. And, and if you have a little more than that, you can actually get travel records. Oh, dude. Past and future. The new generation ID cards, I remember when they brought out the fifth generation ones. You know, it's a smart card. You scan it on a scanner. Now it's you got do, every yeah. piece of every piece of information about you. Yeah. Your educational history, your travel history, or social credit score, so to yeah. speak. You know, mm -hmm. so every, every single piece of information about you is in there. 
But nowadays with the zero COVID uh, monitoring system, they don't even need that anymore. They know where everyone is at all times anyway. Man, what a massive undertaking. Yeah. I mean, if it wasn't so depressing, it would be impressive. Just flat yeah. out impressive. Where they came from back when you first started going to China, which is they didn't even use credit cards. They skipped credit cards, right? They went right yeah. from cash to buying things with their phone. Yeah, the mobile. Right. So they just move at light speed that way. Now it's just become a total surveillance state. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they look, they skipped VHS too. <laughs> it's, They're not yeah. missing much. <laughs> no, they went straight to VCD. So I think Beta they kind of did always better, that. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing though. China just didn't have the infrastructure and they weren't equipped with the technology to handle certain things that were available in the West, for instance. You know, you couldn't buy a VCR in China during the 80s. Uh, remember, it was still a very oppressive place. Right. By the time the 90s rolled around and people started to have a little bit of disposable income, VHS was kind of too much of an investment. So they'd be getting pirated VCDs uh, and that sort of thing. VCD players were the thing. So, you know, it's, that's the same with credit cards. They didn't have the infrastructure for credit cards, so they never took off. You can get a credit card in China, but good luck using it anywhere. Right. You know, I remember just everywhere I used to go before WeChat Pay became or Alipay and Jifubao became a, a big thing. You would have to just use cash for everything. That's just right. the way it worked, you know? And that's, that's we're talking mid to late 2000s. Oh, yeah, right. dude. Like I, when I left China, I was still one of those guys who preferred to use cash. Right. Because <laughs> okay. you didn't want to be, I mean, you're already being tracked. You didn't want to make it that yeah. much easier. It's also just, I don't know, man, like as much as people trust WeChat or whatever, I don't like the idea that you're getting people like random people to scan your QR code and it's going to somehow make sure they don't extract more money than they say or whatever. You know, it's hard to tell because it got to a point where beggars are using QR code in order to, <laughs> that is fantastic. you know, get a donation. It's like everyone's using these QR codes and you go to some really like ratty little shop somewhere in the middle of nowhere where you, when you're doing a little trip or something. And there's a really dodgy guy there who wants to scan your code. It's linked to your bank account. No, thank you very much. So, you know, I'm rather just like avoided that. I set up a different bank account only just for WeChat and only had a couple hundred RMB in it, you know. So if I had to use it, it's not a big deal. That was smart. Did Matt ever get taken from that or did, uh, did he ever have a problem with that? Uh, because you guys traveled together. No, I don't think so. You know, when you have a new technology like that coming out from an IT background, I'm very skeptical. But the reason why this kind of technology flourishes in China is that nobody in China thinks about that side of things. It's not very security-minded when it comes to computers and technology. And, and in fact, the biggest thing is that in China, no one protests about their privacy being invaded. So, you know, when you install WeChat on your phone and it's asking for full access to your camera, your bank account, your microphone, your location, and all that kind of nonsense, everyone just says yes. You know, there's nobody out there who's like, uh, I don't want my privacy invaded. Everyone's just like, yes, it makes my life easier. Yes, 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 yes. You can have because their privacy's already been like shattered. Yeah, I mean, they have no exactly. privacy. And and so that's why you see these advancements in that sort of technology in China is because if you try to roll that kind of thing out in a Western country, there'd be so much pushback that in order to develop the technology and work out the bugs, you'd, you know, you'd take years and years and years because you need people to consent and then you can start to test things and then you can see what works, what doesn't. In China, they just roll stuff out. Everyone's like, yes, it fails. They don't care. They've learned from their mistakes and move on. So that's why that side of technology grows very quickly in China. They're like a cornerback for the Detroit Lions. <laughs> Everything gets by. Yeah, I mean, just, yeah. if, it fails, if it fails, you just, you know, get right back to it and let somebody score a touchdown on you again. That's yeah, the way it is. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. The societal differences, I mean, some of your videos, and, I, and I've got to say props to you guys. You really, you really do a great job, and you talk about, some of the most interesting things like, you know, why aren't there birds in China? Yeah. Why aren't there birds well, in China? Well, we know birds aren't real. Well, that's, yeah. that's here. <laughs> well, they've been that, eaten. And that's that, actually true. Those, are, those birds are robots and they're recharging when they're sitting on the <laughs> telephone line, lines. Yeah, there you go. Because they've been eaten. That's the simplest yeah. answer, right? They have been eaten. I mean, look, you, you have to understand that uh, it's not that long ago, you know, we're talking about 50s, 60s, thereabouts, you know, it's like, they had their great famine where... You eat what you kill. Everyone was starving. You know, you got tens of millions of people starving to death. You're going to eat what you can eat. 
Right. And birds are edible. <laughs> yeah. And they ate the bark of the trees. They yeah. ate everything. They ate all the insects. They ate all of the little critters. Any single thing they could get their hands on, birds too. And he also destroyed the natural habitats of birds. They cut down all the trees in order to burn in those stupid furnaces to try and make steel, because Mao Zedong said everyone has to make steel to you know outpace the Soviet Union. So they cut down all the natural habitats for the birds. They ate all the birds. Mao Zedong even had this massive campaign to kill all the sparrows, in which they did. And then wow. they ended up killing all the sparrows, and then there was nothing to eat the locusts, and the locusts ate all their crops. And so they had to import sparrows from the Soviet Union. <laughs> And start eating locusts. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's ridiculous. It's such a, a ridiculous mess. But basically, all the birds have been eaten. And that's not even a joke. That's just what happened. And all their natural habitats were destroyed. Now, of course, they're trying to reverse this. Um, but it's a slow process, you know? It's a slow process for nature to kind of come back, especially if you've destroyed the migratory you know, habitats where the birds used to go and so on. So there really are no so birds in China. Birds that- are, are migratory, right? And I yeah. guess... You know, over generations, they're just like, screw this place. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, there's nothing there for them. What are you going to go, land and eat a, a patch of dirt, you know, yeah. this, or concrete? That's the problem, you know? And of course, like, China's changed a lot over the last couple of decades, but that kind of damage takes a very long time to heal. Um, right. And so that's why you don't see many birds in China. And the problem is people still catch and eat the birds anyway. Still food now right so like i used to go riding a dirt bike out in the in the woods type area which there was this logging area i used to go to because you know they plant trees and when you see trees in china around the cities and stuff it's not natural it's being planted right so i used to go to this planted area in guangdong and i'd very often get snarled up in bird nets because they'd set up bird nets in between the trees everywhere so i'd be riding up go around the corner and all of a sudden there i'm stuck in a bird net you know oh my so they're God. Still just catching the birds so yeah, I guess, I guess that's how one would catch all the right. birds, right? You'd right. set up, like, fishing nets, bird nets. Yeah, just bir- bird nets, yeah, man. They string them between the trees, and, like, anything that flies through gets snared in there, you know? And then they just kill it and eat it. Yeah, and in China, you know, certain birds are used in traditional medicine, et cetera, et cetera, but mo- mostly just eat it. I guess that's where the bird flu, maybe. Got avian flu? The, the whole SARS bird flu thing came just from very unhygienic um, situations. Outdoor markets, things of that nature still prevalent you know china is the is the first country to domesticate geese and sort of live together with birds right so you know that's that that is where the you get this like bird to human transmission thing Mm -hmm. is because you got you know tons of birds in and people living with the birds you know either in the same house or you know, they're working with the birds all the time. So, you know, that's that's why we see these things happening in throughout history, actually, coming from China. What was the benefit of domesticating geese? Just for livestock? I think so, yeah. I mean, I, sometimes you'll be riding in the rural countryside, you'll come across, like, a herd of geese in someone's backyard, and then they, they'll, like, run after you, try to attack you. So I guess it's kind of like a guard dog slash livestock. Yeah, they can be brutal. They can be well, brutal. Yeah. King duck is pretty tasty, so, you know, given your, your experience with China and, and understanding their government as well, what are the chances do you think that they invade Taiwan? Is it 99% or 100? <laughs> you know, that's the problem. They, they're at a point, they've known for the longest time, the government, that if they did that, it would be a massive mistake. Mm. All right. So the level-headed people that are still inside the CCP are always trying to avoid that situation, but they use... They bluster about it, and they use it as a political tool to kind of, um, I don't know, get the entire na- nation riled up together, you know, in solidarity. And like, we're going to take back Taiwan, you know, we're going to reunify China, all that kind of crap. They bring that out every time there's some kind of a downturn in opinion towards the government, right? They just throw that out there, or they throw out something anti-Japanese or whatever. But Xi Jinping, I, uh, he's I, a bit I, of a different story. He and, really is. I believe know, him. I think he's going to do it. He might, and that's the thing. Like he might, out of desperation, just have to do, do it when his uh, the opinion of him has gone too low. That's like his tr- his trump card up his sleeve. You know, his ace up his sleeve. He'll be like, okay, well, you know, let's just invade Taiwan. So well, as we yeah, sit here, he's about to start his third term, right? Yeah, he is, and that's why the zero COVID policy thing is just outrageously ridiculous right now. It's because it's his brainchild. He doesn't well, want to let it go. Why are people putting up with it? I mean, other than the obvious answers, because they don't like bullets to the head. Uh, I <laughs> yeah. mean, why? I mean, they- come on. You had that massive earthquake in Sichuan just a 
what, two weeks ago or so, 6.8 on the Richter scale. People locked in their buildings because of zero COVID. They couldn't get out of their buildings during an earthquake. Well, now, right? they're, now they're there for good. Yeah, uh, yeah um, many of them are. And the, the rescue workers going in to rescue people from the rubble all have to line up and get COVID tests before they're allowed to go rescue oh people, God. you know, and 24 hours wait for their results and stuff. It's the stupidest thing in the world. It's just reached levels of absurdity that no one could ever imagine where they're testing stones for COVID. They're testing every animal. They're testing fish, which don't even have lungs, right? They're testing fish for COVID. They're testing every single thing you can think of. I guess, I guess a whale. For COVID. They're spraying disinfectant in every place possible on the runway, for goodness sake, at an airport. What's that going to help, you know? It's madness. It's madness. But they have to do it now because they've told that they have to do it, you know? What, what happened to the part of the conversation where they do something, it doesn't work, and they just fix it and move on? I think this falls under that kind of cat. This, this just doesn't work. COVID's going to run through your country, period. It ran through ours. It wasn't good, but, uh, you know, we got through it. They don't have to. You know why? Because they don't let people have that conversation. It's simple. As far as everyone's concerned in China, the only way to deal with COVID is the Chinese way, because that's all they've been told, is the way that the CCP is dealing with it is the best way. They're also not told about the deaths and the infections and the problems that China has faced. Who in their right mind is going to believe the amount of deaths that co from COVID that China reported? It's like yeah. some stupidly small amount. Less than Iceland. You know? well, I mean, when the yeah. first thing first started, you know, we still had more boots on the ground than I would say today. Yeah. And people in Wuhan. And they're like, they're stacking up urns outside, yeah. of, outside of crematoriums because they don't fit inside anymore. There were a lot of people dying. And the other part of this, though, is with China, and I know this, this is going to sound horrible, statistics matter. Yes. They have an aging population, and COVID is a solution. It does help them in a way. You know, are they taking advantage of that in, in some way or? I mean, look, that's, that's a, an interesting take, and it's entirely possible that they've thought, of, thought about that. But um, I think that the whole COVID situation is more about them finally getting that ultimate control over the populace that they've been seeking all yeah. this time. Yeah, you know, makes it's more such a convenient excuse for them to be able to know exactly where everyone is and to control the movement of people. And um, they've been able to do this now because, you know, if a certain area is in lockdown, you're not allowed to leave. If a certain city has an infection, you're not allowed to go there. If you're planning to go do a protest because your life savings was stolen by a bank, suddenly your QR code turns red and you're not allowed to go out your door. Not allowed to get on a bus or a train or Whether whatever. Whether there's been a COVID outbreak or not. Yeah, you, they oh, did that. Wow, wow. They did that. There was that huge bank protest in, you know, where yep. the, the small banks in Hernan were stealing all, well, they stole everyone's life savings and, and ran away. <laughs> uh, and so people, they planned to go and protest. And so the local government just made all of those people that were going to plan to protest made their QR codes red so they couldn't go to the protest, right? So they're already using it. And they admitted this, by the way. It's not like it's a hidden secret. They actually did. Then they kind of had to roll it back. But the fact of the matter is it was used once very effectively to stop a protest. So it can be used for anything. Right. If somebody's a troublemaker, someone, I don't know, speaking out or something, just change their QR code to red. They won't be able to leave their apartment. They won't be able to go into a, a supermarket. They won't be able to get on a bus or a train or a plane. You've effectively locked them in prison without having to do any of the hard work. That's insane. That's one of the reasons they're never going to stop this, you know? They're going to keep this going. This made a lot more sense to me in the universe of the 80s and the 90s, where there were just many less Chinese nationals traveling. Right. And now, with as much international business as there is, I would think some of the freedoms, you know, you could have been more wrong than Bill Clinton yeah. in opening up China and saying, good luck controlling the internet, <laughs> ha, ha, ha. Yeah, sure. And yeah. they did. But it seems like, so, you know, once this gets so oppressive, some hope is coming back into the country from Western uh, visitors. Is it not having an effect at all? Well, I mean, first of all, you're not getting that many people going back. You know that it costs something like 20,000 US dollars for a plane ticket to go to China right now? No, I would not know that because I, you know, obviously cannot go to China. 
sure. Well, neither can I, but look it up. If you want to book a, if you want to book a plane ticket right now to China, it's going to cost you for the cheapest tickets are like eight to 10 grand for like a, I don't know where you have to stop over five times and spend like a week in a plane. Um, and if you want to get there with only a single stopover, it's costing you like 20,000 US dollars. So people are not just flying to China for no reason right now. Okay. Yeah. It's only people that really, really need to be there for family reasons or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's difficult to get into China right now. And They're not just handing out. out. Yeah. Super difficult to get out too. So you're not getting a lot of this cross-border uh, stuff. You know, you're not getting a lot of people. But we were back three and... or four years ago and five years ago. Yeah. And, and, and yeah, absolutely. Xi Jinping has what been in power now 10 years. Uh, so uh, it's just gone backward since he's it taken has. over. And, you know, shame on our intelligence community for just not seeing this guy coming at all. Yeah, agreed. They thought he was going to be even more of a reformer than than Well, look, to be fair, so did the CCP. So did most people. They just didn't realize that he was just a a Mao Zedong wannabe, you know? Right. Uh, And it's it's awful. It's awful what he's done to the country. Um, And it's awful the way the country's going right now. And what can you do? You know, you've got this horrible dictator in charge and the the brainwashing that they've been doing with the young kids ever since I was there, the the brainwashing was very severe, but it's far more severe now. And they do export, they export a chill on the freedom of speech. Of course they do. Kids here in college, they'll definitely have a contingent of Chinese national students that will absolutely crack down on any Chinese or white student speaking out against China. Well, I can give you an example that I went through. I came on a road trip. The first, my first uh, big trip to America, 2016, I came. I bought an old, an, an old Corvette and I drove it from coast to coast. Cool. And during my trip, I was invited to go and give a speech at the University of Arizona in Tucson. And I was invited by the journalism department, okay, because I just finished filming and and wrapping the the Conquering Southern China documentary, right, where I've been through Southern China. So I went to go and tell them all about it and show them a trailer for the show and talk about some of the adventures, you know, that kind of thing, and what it's like to film in China and so on, because it was the journalism department. So I turned up to give my presentation, quite a few, you know, college students sitting there, number of Chinese college students sitting there too. Everyone's getting ready. We're about to start. And then the Confucius Institute turns up. Yeah, yeah. So we had like a middle-aged Chinese woman walks in there with a contingent of very old-looking students. If if they weren't students, they were staff members or something from the Confucius Institute, you know, like in their late 20s, early 30s type. Right. They walk in there. As soon as they walked in, some of the Chinese students that were in the class actually got up and left. Mm-hmm. Smart. Yeah. You should have joined that. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, you see, they have this chilling effect, like you said, that they, they see the Confucius Institute come in there and they're like, oh, we probably shouldn't be here, you know? And while I was making my speech, they were taking notes. Mm-hmm. They were trying to counter what I was saying the whole time. Uh, I was showing some of the terrible roads that we rode through in Guizhou. Guizhou being, you know, the poorest province in China. Yeah. I'm showing footage on the screen of these terrible roads and just talking about like some of the challenges that you face when you go through rural China. And they interrupted me all the time and said, yes, but this is only a small part of China. China has built all these new highways. China has all these new high-speed rails. I'm like, you know, what the hell does that have to do with my presentation? But they kept trying to counter what I was saying and they were very angry. China does have some great modernization and rails and stuff, but for them to pretend like they don't have rural poor areas anymore is ridiculous. I know that's the problem is they don't want anyone outside of China to know the reality of what's inside of China, right? And so the fact that you've got the bloody Confucius Institutes in U.S. universities still to this day. Oh, they own Harvard. They own Yale. Stanford Stanford especially. Yeah, Columbia, they're right there too. I mean, I've had my issues with them uh, in giving a speech. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Berkeley, forget it. There is no free speech. it's, It's absolutely ridiculous that you have this uh, censorship exported to the universities uh, overseas and it's, it's and the also students hollywood and everything else you know rally i mean like you know i know some professors at berkeley that are very open-minded and still very much so into into free speech but 
they've got to watch it because I mean, it's the students that will, will get you. Yeah, that's it. Students, they report you to the local Chinese consulate, the local Chinese consulate. They put together some kind of a plan to shut you down. You know, I have some advice for, for those students. How about you shut your face and go to class? (laughs) Why don't don't you do that? Actually, you're too young to be so cynical. Shut up. Yeah. No, the the problem is that they've been brainwashed and they are usually the the students, they're rewarded. You know, if they rat out a professor who's saying something that's against the Chinese agenda or if they rat out a student that went to a freedom of speech rally or something, another Chinese student, they get rewarded, you know, and they get told that they're a good Chinese citizen and that they're loyal to the motherland and all that crap. And they eat it up. That's what they want. They want that validation, you know? So unfortunately, being a a little narc grass piece of shit coward is a big plus when it comes to um, Chinese society. Yeah, well said. I like it. Snitches get stitches. (laughs) In China, snitches get badges. (laughs) We don't need no stinking badges. Badges. Yeah. We don't need no stinking badges. (laughs) (laughs) What's China's view these days on some of their their neighbors and their rise economically and even military prowess like you know say vietnam which is mm-hmm. as i hear it from a generation or two ahead of me nobody to screw with <laughs> you know these are determined people not that the chinese yep. aren't they are as well mm-hmm. how's that relationship there that that you've heard of i've traveled through vietnam as well um on motorcycles as well as china and Seeing the new factories popping up in Vietnam is mm-hmm. quite an eye opener because mm-hmm. I think a lot of companies are sick and tired of dealing with Chinese shit. To be honest, yeah, you have to make so many concessions in order to operate inside of China. You have to transfer your intellectual property. You have to deal with corruption. You have to deal with bribery. You have to deal with the constant threats of, oh, if you don't do this, you don't do that, then we'll shut you down or we'll ban you in China or we'll boycott you, we'll block you, we'll this or that, you know, and then the zero COVID now where the factories have to shut down and there's nothing you can do about it. A lot of companies, I think, are kind of at the end of their tether and they're looking elsewhere and moving to places like Vietnam. That seems to be the number one destination, right? Uh, Outside of China. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, absolutely, because Vietnam is right there. It wouldn't be too hard, I guess, to move all your equipment over there or set up over there or whatever the case. Vietnamese people, the if if you were to travel into Vietnam... You would not be able to tell the difference between the northern Vietnamese people and the southern Chinese people. They're, they're the same people, actually. You know, mm-hmm. genetically, they're the same, and they come from the same region, and so mm-hmm. they share a lot of things. There's a lot of commonalities there when it comes to traditions and things like that. But China has always seen Vietnam as inferior, and Chinese people, you know, especially the Han people, they're very supremacist, and they see Vietnamese people as lower than them. You see this a lot by the fact that when they insult people, um, like for instance, they they love to insult um, some of our, like they love to insult our wives, you know, myself and and Lao 86. And one of the the biggest insults they always say is they they call uh, Lao 86's wife like a a Vietnamese monkey, right? That's like one of their insults. So if you're using that as an insult, it gives you their idea about Vietnamese people, right? Yeah. So they see them as inferior. And so the Chinese government is obviously not very happy that a lot of the stuff is being moved over to Vietnam. Don't forget, China did attack Vietnam, actually invaded Vietnam in the 70s and got their asses kicked, just like everyone else who's tried to invade Vietnam, apparently. Yeah. They, they're not friends. They don't like the Vietnamese, you know? I don't think the Vietnamese are too fond of them. No, definitely not. I mean, they come in and they claim their sea and their territory around there and they, you know, they block off their rivers so that Vietnam can't get water. I don't think they like China very much. Yeah, that'll be interesting to see how that dynamic plays out. I know a lot of investors that are that are seeking investment in in Vietnam right now for this exact same reasons that, that you put out there. And it's I mean, you could add political unrest to that. Right. And our relationship with them is just just not getting better. Whether yeah. it's a Republican president or a Democratic president now, neither one of those seems to be improving anytime soon. Yeah. Where, you know, Vietnam seems to be a little more capitalist orientated, at least market wise. I'd say Vietnam, when, when I traveled through Vietnam, it looked like China when I first got to China. Mm, it's got the same vibe. It's got the same, you know, things are opening up, things are, uh, people are starting to get more wealth, things are changing. Um, and I can see it. It's got the exact same feeling as when I first got to China. And from what I understand, there's no bad blood against Americans there. 
No, that that that's something that surprised me a lot. You know, I mean, I'm not American, but I'm traveling with an American, and we never yeah. had any issue. People in Vietnam are super friendly and super open and and really nice to deal with. Yeah, my theory is this: that uh, China's going to have their hands full with Russia at a certain point in time because they've. Yeah. They're becoming a super indebted nation to China. Yeah. I don't know if people remember, but Russia took a nice piece of China at the end of World War II. And if China's sure. looking at a 500-year-old map to decide what part of the sea is theirs, they can oh, look yeah. at a 70-year-old map and see that Russia owes them some land. And I think that's going to come to a head at some point. And Well, they're talking about it already, man. Like, Really? Yeah, they're talking about it already. You're starting to see some netizens, you know, those disgusting netizens that uh, act as attack dogs for the CCP. They're starting to talk about that now. They're starting to, especially with the way Ukraine's pushing uh, Russia back in many areas, now they're starting to change their tune a little bit about Russia and saying like, oh, well, maybe we should take back what belongs to us. We're starting to see that. What could Russia but, do you know, about it at this point? Uh, you know, other than their obvious nuclear weapon, you know, which is their answer to everything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't know if you know, Xi Jinping just went to Russia basically very, very much said that, okay, we're standing with Russia now. You know, they've tried to play this middle ground for the longest time, but they've pretty much said now, hey, look, now we're teaming up with you. We're, you know, against the West type thing. That's the vibe that's happening right now. Well, it's good for the king to go see one of his future <laughs> vassal states. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I also think that, that you're right on that point. I do think that what's going to happen is Russia is just going to become more and more dependent on China. I mean, China's you being a conduit for Russia to sell Russian gas to the Europe and stuff like that. You know, China's offered Russia a way out to give them access to their union pay system when SWIFT stopped allowing Russia to use SWIFT. So China's basically doing everything on behalf of Russia and helping Russia out a lot. So Russia's going to owe them a lot of debt. And Xi Jinping's probably going to be like, hey, listen, give us back that land now or else. And they're going to be like, okay, sure. Well, it's going to be much more than that. That's just that's just part of it. I mean, they, I think that bill is going to be a lot higher than the piece of land from World that'll, War II. Yeah, that'll be a part of it. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't sound good for the Russian people. They're really they're really having a hard time. But who thought? Good for Ukraine, right? Yeah. Who would have thought after that debacle in 2014? I mean, just little green men with with no flags on their arms, and shame on us for not calling that out. By the way, that they would push back so hard. They still have yeah. an Air Force. Yeah, it's crazy. There is nobody, there is nobody outside of maybe China that would still have an Air Force after a week of going up against the United States. Yeah. I'm convinced We've of that. that. Sure. Yeah, we have yeah. proven it time and time again. That's yeah. the first, I mean, your Air Force is toast within <laughs> three days. And, it has to be. That's, yeah, you got to take it out. Yeah. And Ukraine's still flying, so... That's another thing that might be slowing China down, slowing their role on Taiwan. You think they, they look at that and they, I mean, they see the good side of it, that they're getting a more indebted Russia and the bad side of it oh, is. Yeah, dude. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty convinced that they expected Russia to just take Ukraine in a week or two. Just like, you know, that's what Putin was saying. You know, that's what Putin was telling China, telling Xi Jinping when they're making pancakes together and stuff. It's like, hey, look, we're just going to. Waltz in there, and we're just going to take it over, and it'll be quick and easy. And Xi Jinping's like, great, we've got you back, you know? Yeah, well, and then, add, add to that that they, they're going to be welcomed as, as liberators yeah. by the Ukrainian people and showered with flowers and blah, blah, blah. Didn't work out that way, but, I mean, that's the thing. Um, China has always for the longest time said, we'll just take Taiwan in a day or whatever, you know? We're just going to waltz in there, and it's mm -hmm. done, you know? Like, in a matter of hours, it'll be ours and all that. So they luster about this all the time. And they start to believe their own bullshit, you know, mm -hmm. and that's they look at, at Russia and they they think Russia could can do it as well, because Russia's also talking all this this smack all the time about doing this. And then they see Russia fail miserably. It certainly didn't take two weeks. It's not done yet. You know, they've lost a lot of troops. There's been a lot of embarrassment. There's been a lot of ridiculous pushback against this around the world. Because they weren't expecting that either. They thought they'd just walk in there and the rest of the world will be like, oh, well, it's none of our business belongs to Russia anyway, or something like that, right? Didn't Obama that. Was, a, was a pushover, and he thought yeah. that, you know, creaky old Joe <laughs> was going to be a pushover too. And for what he, whether he knows what's happening or not, somebody behind <laughs> him is handling this well enough. Yes, I agree. So, I agree. you know, you've got to give props where props are due. Agreed. I agree. Anyway, I think that they've 
because of what's happened in Ukraine, they are having second thoughts about invading Taiwan. I think they realize it's not as easy as they thought. What's happening next for you? You've got this wildly crazy, good show and and well followed. I mean, congratulations on the 178 million views. That's fantastic. You know, how do you do it? How do you keep that going? I mean, how do you keep that viewer engagement? Is it all about China or are you uh, are you doing any more variety? Because I've, I, what I've seen is China. Yeah, look, it's a, it's a tough one. But I started my channel very small, you know, as a kind of a personal set of videos to show people what I was doing in China. That's okay. I just want people to know I started my show to show how hard it is to work with Carl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I started my videos as a way to allay the fears of many of my friends and family who are like, what are you doing in China? It's so dangerous. It's so crazy. I'm like, no, it's not. It's, it's actually very fun and interesting. And I was showing people what the interesting parts of China were like, what, what, a, what an adventure I was having, you know, what a good time I was having. Cause I was, I was having a great time. Right. That was the whole focus in the beginning was to show how cool it was. And, and people started to watch my videos and ask me questions about like, oh, you're in China. How much does it cost to rent a house? You know, what's it like to date a Chinese woman? So I started to make videos based on all these questions. And I grew a, a community. And I think that's the most important thing is to, to never lose track or lose sight of the fact that you, you're responsible for a community. You're responsible for providing something for this community. It's not... It's not a narcissistic thing where you're like, me, 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 I'm going to show everyone how cool I am and people are going to watch because that doesn't work out. You know, you don't, unless you're a very sexy woman or something, that kind of thing doesn't really work. You can't be all about like, I'm so cool. Watch me, you know, that's it's where gotta we're be, going wrong. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You, you have to offer a service mm-hmm. at the end of the day. So you either have to be educating people mm-hmm. or uh, helping them in some way. So people have to come to your videos because they want to learn something because they've got an issue to be solved. Entertainment is also a service, you know? So if you can provide some entertainment, that, you know, is also something people come to see. So it's a mixture of that kind of thing. So I try to make my videos educational. I've got a lot of insight into China having lived there for so long. I've got one thing I've got that most people don't have is a shit ton of footage that I took. Yeah. While I was in China, and I started doing this a number of years back, I decided, you know what? Every spare moment I have, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to just film stuff. I'm going to film B-roll. I'm going to film, I'll pick a topic. I'm going to film restaurants today. I'll go out and I will actually just go and film like shots of restaurants and people eating and things like that, right? Okay, today I'm going to film public transport, go out and film buses and stuff. So I built this huge library, terabytes of footage while I was there. I'd set my camera down on the road and and, uh, film like a 10-minute clip, for instance, in an interesting area. So I can use that as a background or I can use that as, uh, you know, because you'll see interesting things happen that I can use and pick out. I had the foresight, luckily, to film a lot of stuff and I was very bold with the camera. I don't care. I'll film anything, right? Mm. And I filmed a lot. So when I talk about something uh, in China, I always have footage to back it up Mm. because it's easy for people to call me a liar. So, for instance, if I say, you know what? It's kind of gross, but a lot of people spit on the streets in China. If I just said that, people be like, you liar, you piece of shit. You're just making this up to make China look bad. But if I have the footage to back it up and I show people spitting on the streets, it's not a lie, is it? Yeah. It's true. There it's it also is. part There's of the social other. credit score now. It's, no, yeah. it was such a big problem that yeah. China you, made you it part of your social credit score. If you're spit- <laughs> Yeah, you lose points for like spitting on the street. Isn't that true? It's true, but that's the thing. There's so many forces out there that are trying to muddy the waters and trying to silence people from telling the truth about China, what it's really like, that I'm a massive target. There's lots of people that go out, they tried to do character assassination against me. They tried to, like I said, interfere with my family and my friends. What was the character assassination stuff? Was it? Well, you know, know, they they make videos to say- or whatever. Yeah, exactly. There are tons of videos out there trying to say that I'm racist. And the reason I'm racist is because I make videos about China. I don't think I've ever heard you or Matt say anything, but but really glowing things about the people of China. Sure. Who you chose to actually live with and and marry a Chinese national, and yeah, yet with a straight face, even though your complaints about are about their government, and to some extent, and I would agree, our government, that makes you a racist. It's just yeah, it's ridiculous. It's is an easy way to shut people down. Yeah, is through cancel culture. So, you know, 
someone's saying something valid. They're saying, look, that house is on fire. Yeah. Someone comes along and says, don't listen to that guy. He's a racist. And everyone's like, oh, bad racist. Hate that guy. Meanwhile, the, the house burns down. That's just how it is. They go after the person, the person's character, rather than their message, because they cannot disprove the fact that the house is on fire. You know? It's the That's same thing really- with freedom of speech. When I, I started, really, you know, my day job is, you know, starting fights with companies who commit fraud. And yeah. you'd get these lawyers who would, like, you know, pontificate in court. You, freedom of speech is one thing, but you cannot yell fire in a crowded theater. And I'm like, you know, well, what if the theater's on fire? Can, yeah. I, can you yell it then? Because I mean, these companies, they were, especially 10 years ago, they were Potemkin villages. Yeah. That's the tact. That really is uh, to shut yeah. down the freedom of speech. And really, you saw, that's why you had to leave at a certain point in yeah. time. Like it went from, hey, watch what you say to you're going to be in big, big trouble and we're going after your family. Yeah, and they went after my family in South Africa, too. It's ridiculous. They put a campaign together where they they found out my parents' business, okay, the phone number, and then they looked it up on Google Maps where my parents' business was. I know this all because there was a forum discussing how to do this, right, okay? And they had photos of my parents on there. They had all their addresses and all that, my parents' phone numbers and email addresses and stuff uh, in documents. And then what they did was they found all the businesses surrounding my parents' area. There was like a barbershop, pizza shop, you know, the usual kind of things. And they actually sent emails to all of these businesses to, to say that I was a racist and my, my parents need to get me out of China and what, what, all this other nonsense and that my parents are racists and all this other weird shit. And so, like, my parents would be going to their local pizza shop or something, and they'll be like, listen, what the hell is this? Why are we getting this really badly written thing in in English, but bad English, about you and your son? You know? Yeah. So they were doing stuff like that, trying to do everything that they could to mess with my life in order to uh, stop me from making videos. I don't don't think I'd want to be called a racist in South Africa. Uh, No. it's, It's too soon. It's yeah. just too soon. I mean, no, the, the thing is, it's okay. That's just why I can deal with this is because being a South African, yeah. you're automatically labeled as a racist no yeah. matter where you go. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. It's something it's you tough. have to deal with. So I've been dealing with this since I was, you know, a young boy. Right. And it's something that I'm very used to dealing with. And it's very easy to brush off because, you know, you, you, if you're secure in who you are and you know you're not a racist, someone calls you a racist, it's dumb. It's like if you're a really short person and someone calls you tall, you can take it and bend. <laughs> right. I'm obviously not. I mean, apartheid was, was pretty much over by the time you were an adult, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah, in school. Like, yeah. When, I was, when I was very young. Yeah. Um, because people, don't, people think there was this big switch that was switched over in 1994, but it's not really like that. No. It's pre-1994. Mm. My primary school, we, you know, we had already changed mm-hmm. and we, we had like, um, you know, black and white students together and so on. So, you know, from primary school, my parents were very sure to make sure that the, the schools I went to, preschools and stuff, were mixed race and all that kind of thing, you know. So they're already integrated. Completely integrated. The, my high school was the first uh, high school to ever have integration even when apartheid was around, you know? So it's just one of those things. I mean, that's kind of what happened there, right? Yeah. The people started integrating, and, and the government just gave up at a certain point. Yeah. They're just like, I mean, yeah, they we, just, we, have no, we have no mandate anymore from the people, yeah. white or black, and he just gave up. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, it, it wasn't a thing for me growing up. Apartheid wasn't, you know, even something that I re- experienced, even though I was still alive during the tail end of it, you know, in the beginnings. Right. But by the time I was in high school, you know, that was all done, said and done. The ANC was in power. Everything's different, you know. Like I said, racism is something that all South Africans are very well aware of, and they know exactly what real racism is, sure. and they know exactly how to deal with racism. And so... When people come and accuse you of being a racist, it's like yeah. water off a duck's back. Really. <laughs> Pound sand. Yeah. Yeah, I've been there. There you go. Well, that's cool. I mean, any advice for anybody planning to travel to China, anybody doing business in China going forward? 
Yeah, I'd say don't. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> it's it's. I mean, it's you have too a much of a shop. You could sell them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I wish. No, seriously though, it's it. I still get people sending me messages to ask me advice on how to go to try China and how to find a job uh, there. They will. I do too. I do too. Yeah. And, and I'm like, why do you guys not watch my videos? Sure, you could still figure it out if you really had to, but the chances of you being caught up in a lockdown for months on end or, or whatever, the rise in xenophobia right now towards foreigners, it's really just not the place you want to go. Yeah, I mean, are there any attacks on foreigners in China that we're not oh. hearing about? Yeah, do you show? I, yeah, absolutely. I haven't seen absolutely. that on your video. Do you have some videos of that too on your channel? I mean, here's the thing. It's more... It's, it's less about people just like mobbing and beating people up. It's more about massive amounts of discrimination. I got a mate in Shanghai who was on the subway and someone called him a foreign virus, right? Mm -hmm. And jabbed him in his ribs with an umbrella. Actually fractured one of his ribs and bruised a whole bunch of stuff. It was pretty Whoa. bad. That kind of thing. Just jabbed him with the umbrella, walked off, that type of thing. There's a lot of resentment. People kind of being ratted out by their neighbors saying oh there's a foreigner here so he must have COVID." It's becoming more and more like new york city like <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's look it's just a very uncomfortable situation and i i personally feel that if it continues the way it's going right now it's just a matter of time before we start to see like lynchings basically happen you know wow. it's it's really starting to get to that point and if it doesn't calm down because the rhetoric that comes out of the government is all about how foreigners are to blame for mm -hmm. every problem in China. Yeah. It's yeah. always foreigners. Foreigners mm -hmm. are the ones who brought COVID to China. Mm -hmm. Everyone believes that now, believe it or not. No. Foreigners are the, the reason why everything sucks in China. So people internalize that. And the last thing you want is a mob getting together and seeing a foreigner there. Maybe a foreigner does something, is drunk and does a stupid thing on the street or something. And then everyone's like, okay, now it's time to teach this foreigner a lesson. And then by the Which time- Which is what foreigners did in China for years. <laughs> Oh yeah, of course. Stupid oh. stuff, drunk, and 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 it was tolerated, right? Because of course you were a foreigner. You couldn't really get away with as much if you were a national, uh, yeah, as you that's could. Very when you were true. And you think that's changing now? Oh, absolutely. Well, no, wow. the, the attitudes towards foreigners has changed a lot, which in some ways is a positive thing. Like I said, like I do not condone those moron foreigners who just go around like doing stupid shit all over China, drunk and. Messing around and you know breaking the law and stuff like that because they used to get away with that, but at the same time, it's getting dangerous to the point where just being a foreigner sitting in a restaurant somewhere could get you into trouble. Bad news. Well, yeah. we didn't even have a chance to talk about Hong Kong, but I guess it's it's much like everything else. It's now China. Uh, it's yep. it's a fait complete for them. It's interesting because uh, now they're going to allow audit inspections, but you have to do it in Hong Kong for. Based U.S. listed companies, and I'm just like, you know, I mean, there's going to be no audit performed that isn't spied on by the government, which is why they're saying yeah. you can only do it in Hong Kong. That's that's where we are. Yeah. Where can people see you and find your channel? It's Serpent Z, but I would call it Serpent Z A because that's what yeah. it. Aluminium. That's how you're found, right? <laughs> yeah. You actually have a separate channel from from Laway as well. You guys, you guys do the same one. And you have some stuff you do separately because yeah. it sounds like to me that you'd already plan planned on being like a producer of some kind while you went to China started filming. It's weird, man. Like we used to do our own separate channel, Serpents at A, Lao 86. Those are our main personal channels, but we started to work together and we found out that it works better when we work together. So we've got a new thing called the China show. I mean, I say it's new. We just rebranded it from ADV podcasts, oh. but it's called the China show, which is a weekly live show all about China, where we talk about the latest news that's happening in China. We show interesting video clips and, and so on. I mean, it is also an audio podcast, but it's mainly a video th uh, live show. So, I did that yeah. with you guys, right? Uh, about six yeah, months yeah, ago? Yeah. yeah, we put you on there. That's the China. I know you guys will take anybody. You have very low standards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the China show. We're, we're loving that. That's kind of our future projection. We like to focus on that, even though we've got our own personal channels and we've dabbled and done other stuff too but our main thing these days is is the china show i've seen about 20 of your videos in your shows i didn't see any over the summer because you know i was doing other things over the summer i'll get back to it because I, I loved what i saw you guys are you. really doing a great job and I, I love that you still have so much 
material you can still present that it's all going to be, you know, some new stuff. And yep. quite frankly, I haven't seen too many other channels that really got up close and personal and, and showed videos of people being welded into their homes during COVID mm. or the makeshift little jails they're thrown in that they're calling a hospital or a quarantine. Oh, yeah. And you actually show that. Yeah, we do. Kudos to you guys. You do a great job. Where else can we find you? You guys uh, prolific on Twitter or anywhere else? You can find me on Twitter uh, as well, but uh, absolute best place to find us, to be honest, is on YouTube through The China Show or Serpents A Day and Lao 86. Great, Winston. Loved having you on. Hopefully, you know, when uh, things change in China, for the better or worse, you can return as a returning champion because there aren't too many <laughs> people you. I speak to that know as much as you or Matt at Lawa 86 and look forward to still being a fan and watching your show thank you so much it was really nice being on the show today and uh, yes yeah, stay awesome mate alright you too man 